Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, Sasha here for another interview, Sovereign Collective Podcast. This is number three with the lovely and wise Morley Robbins. If you have not listened to the first two interviews with this man, then please go to episodes number 59 and 60 so you can understand why we're talking about all this copper stuff and certain things that impede its absorption, why, how to make it bioavailable, why you care about copper. It's, it's a metal that not very many people are talking about but it's a metal that more of us should be talking about. And I'm hoping that through these conversations, I get to contribute to that awareness just a little bit more. So we talked about, we got an introductory stuff into it. And then last time we talked about his root cause protocol. So Morley Robbins is an author. I've showed this book before. I'll show it again. This is called Cure Your Fatigue. And it's a great book on the science behind what's going on in the body. And then the root cause protocol, the stops and the starts. He also has a website called rcp123.org or the rootcauseprotocol.com where you can actually see the whole protocol for free. You can download it, you can see it, and you could take advantage of the offerings that Morley provides there as well. And you can also see, you can get the book that way and learn more about that. Lots of excellent information there. And now today we're going to talk about all the stuff, people's things. There seems to be an endless list of... uh, issues that people are dealing with these days and the lack of bioavailable copper for many probably has a lot to do with that however before we get into that stuff I do feel and I did promise you in the last interview that I forgot to ask some key questions I think because people want to know a little bit more detail sometimes right so we talked about the stops and the starts and how to make copper bioavailable and what's going to stop it from becoming that way but I didn't get into specifics so Morley I want to talk about the dosing. So I know in your product that you designed, there's two milligrams of copper bisglycinate. Right. You got a one a day, a two a day, a three a day. Do certain times of your life or situations require you to do more, do less? What is the dosing? What is too much? I'm taking two milligrams most days right now. Um, and I'm wondering maybe I should up it or pulse it or what? So what about more more uh, details around that. Great question. So uh, delighted to be back for number three. Mm-hmm. There'll be a four and five, who knows? <laughs> as the questions build. But um, yes. the our ancestors back in the 30s in their diet, in their daily diet, were getting upwards of four to six milligrams a day of copper, according to the records that were kept back then. 
the um, what's considered a RDA, recommended daily allowance. For folks who don't know, the RDA is the, the absolute bare minimum to keep you alive. But the RDA today is 0 0.9 milligrams of copper. Mm. It's a vastly different amount of copper than our ancestors got. What's considered a, um, a recommended dose is about two milligrams, which is why that's what the supplement has. And when I am working with clients, and when the, when the RCPCs are working with clients, we'll typically recommend start with one and see how you respond. And you can move up from there, see how you feel with two, maybe three. Okay. And so, again, what people need to do is be more curious, a little less concerned, and know that they are a cross between a lab rat and a scientist trying to find <laughs> where their, their sweet spot is. Right. And, and really try to have some fun with it. I mean, and I'm not trying to make light of it. It's just, you know, people have different needs. And I've got clients who are routinely taking five and six of those capsules wow. a day. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I had one client experiment with 15. Wow. We did fine, but they were in a situation where they really wanted. And again, they didn't call me and say, is it okay? Because I would have said, no, but... You know, clients are very um, curious, and I think that's great. And I encourage people to take responsibility for this process. Um, I've got a client who's struggling with trying to get iron out of, out of their body. And I said, you know, there's no manual for doing this. We're doing our level best to try to make sense of it. And that's the struggle we've got, is that we're in a realm of pursuit here that no one's ever pursued before in terms of bringing copper in and taking iron out. It's a very different world. And so we just need to be mindful of that. And just, um, I think a safe dosing is one to three, but if you want to go up from there, you can certainly do that and see how one your body- three meaning two to six milligrams is what they would be suggesting. Two to six milligrams, exactly. And so there are some people out there that are recommending quite high doses of copper right. regularly yeah. to people. What do you think about that? Well, I'm I'm cautious. And again, I we're talking about different forms of copper. I'm talking my product has copper bisglycinate. What people are using for much higher doses would be copper sulfate. And I've had no experience with copper sulfate. It's used in uh, animal experiments. It's used on the farm, but I've never seen it used uh, at that level in any kind of human experiments. So I'm very cautious about it. Again, that's just, that's my nature in general, but it's also, um, we're, we're threading a global needle. We've got people all over the world mm. adopting this protocol. So mm. we've got to be sensitive to different cultures, different food expectations, different dosing requirements. And we're, we're doing our level best to try to keep keep the process on an even keel, but it's challenging, as you can imagine. Right, absolutely. And so when they find their sweet spot, what are they, they just, is it just a general sense of well-being, good energy? Yeah, what, it, 
that's a good that's a really good follow-up it's uh there, there's what we call five habits of of daily living did i get a good night's sleep did i wake up refreshed do i have a good appetite do i have energy and is my mood appropriate to my situation if you just won the lottery you should be happy if someone <laughs> in your family just died you should be sad right and so people the, the overriding uh characteristic that we look for is energy do you feel you've got enough energy to get through the day and do what you like to do that's the key mm -hmm. okay absolutely okay and can somebody ever feel like could they go through kind of a detoxification could do you recommend people start slowly in case they do can there be side effects that might concern somebody? Because a lot, of, I, I, I kind of just go because I know I'm going to have certain things, and I'm fine with that, and I understand what I'm doing. But a lot of people are afraid to experiment, and so they're like, "Oh, but this happened and this happened." Is there anything people should look out for? Yeah, we've been conditioned that it's very dangerous to supplement with copper, and we've been conditioned to say, eh, "Take as much iron as you want." It's absolutely insane what they've done to our conditioning. And so we live on a planet where iron is the number one element. That doesn't mean we should be taking it in our diet. We also live on a planet where copper is the only element that can regulate oxygen and iron, and I would argue glucose, at the exact same time. That's a big deal. But we've been taught that it's a poison, that it's a toxin, or we'll be careful of copper toxicity. And so... Um, We've got to be mindful of that conditioning. That programming is very deep in our psyche. And when people are having a reaction, the, the two typical reactions that people will have is nausea, right, a racing mind. And, oh. we've been, and we've been trained like circus bears to believe that it's the copper causing the nausea and the racing mind. No. What is copper really good at? It's it's one of its most important jobs is to mobilize iron. That's really what it's good at. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to get beyond this idea that we need to do that, that we're going to suddenly face that problem by taking copper. Will the body respond? Yes, it will. And what we want to do is be very thoughtful about how we introduce this mineral that's been missing in our diet most of our lives. And that's why we, we really encourage people to ease into it. But the, but the symptoms that people are having are being caused by iron mobilization, not by copper toxicity. That's just a medical narrative that's been taught to people. Right. That makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. And is there anybody who should be wary? Is it anybody that this protocol isn't for? And what about Wilson's disease no, people? Not, a, not aware of, of not anyone aware. who shouldn't be able to benefit from no. this protocol. Okay. Pregnant women, breastfeeding women. Especially pregnant women. Okay. Breastfeeding. Absolutely. Okay. There's an absolute need. And what about someone with Wilson's disease? Hold on, hold on for just a second. Give me sure. just, just Yeah, yeah.
Sorry about that. So the the key is that um, what people don't realize is how affected our bodies have been by a century-long withholding of copper from our diet and a century-long withholding of magnesium from our diet. People, again, we've never been sensitized to how important minerals are. We don't know what they do. They are absolute champions in, inside our body because of the role they play to activate enzymes and make metabolic pathways work and so on. And that's all new information. Most people wouldn't know a mineral if they tripped over it. I mean, I was a, I was a biology major in college and I barely knew what minerals were. I mean, I knew what the periodic table was. Right. I knew certain minerals were important, but on a biological level, on a physiological level, they didn't. There was no training about that in in my uh, undergraduate discipline. And I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of scientists and clinicians, and they have this much knowledge about minerals. And so we're in this uh, mineral agnostic world that wouldn't know a mineral if it bit them in the ankle, (laughs) and and people just don't realize how powerful they are how important they are and how suppressed they've been. Yeah. And it's it's just a, you know, usually the, the, the typical reaction will be, well, Morley, if they're that important, surely my doctor would know. <laughs> and Morley, if, if they're that basic, mm-hmm. surely I would know. And in the beginning, that's what I began to realize is that we don't know because they don't want us to know. And I'm sorry, there is a they. And we're we're living out a script. To me, the most factual statement that exists on planet Earth comes from William Shakespeare. All the world's a stage. Oh, yeah. We're players. Folks, we're on the stage. And it's a very stressful stage. And what we're here to do is learn our lessons, but help each other through the stress. And that's really what Sasha and I are trying to do, is give you additional information that no one's ever shared with you before. It's not it's not readily available on the internet. Most of the information on the internet is garbage. That's my humble opinion. And so we have to uh, have a level of discernment that why would, why would I hang my stick my neck out for 15 years and not have some sense of commitment to trying to help people. And that's really what I'm trying to do is, is make this knowledge accessible and wherever possible, easy to use and to incorporate. But it's still a challenge because it's new. And we all are very reticent about new things. And I think that's, that's it's wired in our psyche. We're we're designed to be very cautious, and I'm just encouraging people to be more curious than cautious. Yes, good, good, good advice there, and and to where hopefully the copper gives the capacity for greater discernment because the capacity for discernment these days is pretty low. To have higher levels of intellect, you need to have more energy, and what this protocol does is it. What's the name of the book? Cure Your Fatigue. 
and what I've heard consistently since the get-go, when we really started to hone in on this issue around bioavailable copper and the magnesium and the other factors, is people are like, I finally have my energy back. Mm. I've got a I've got a film producer who's struggled with diabetes his entire adult life. And he's now on the protocol, taking the recuperate, taking several recuperate. Mm-hmm. And he is, he's, the way he describes is, I feel like Spider-Man. Like a spider bit me and I've got more energy than I know what to do with. Nice. For the first time in his adult life. Right. And so, again, I know that's an N of one. Uh, everyone's going to respond a little differently. But what I find is that the people who have a quiet and steadfast belief in their body's natural ability to heal itself, they respond beautifully to this protocol. People that are constantly looking over their shoulder for the next snake under the rock, they're not going to do as well because they don't trust themselves and they don't trust their body. And so that's the that's the spectrum of response. Most people are in the center, as we would expect, and they do just fine. But there's a tale of people who just take off like rockets, and there's a tale of people who struggle. Right. And it's just, that's the that's the natural order of response to any stimulus. And I think that word trust that you used is very, very important. We need to trust. We need to trust the process. We need to trust the intelligence of this body. The design is far beyond anything that we will ever understand fully. We just need to trust and give it what it needs and trust in even just creating your reality in this world. Just stop second guessing everything, getting lost in the minutia and and just give over. Let it happen. Well, you know, it's it's interesting when when 2020 happened and the world got turned upside down, we thought it was the end of the RCP. We really did. We thought oh, this is it. We're goners. And what it what it's turned into is a springboard to more and more people waking up to, wow, there's more, there's more to the story. There's more information than I knew. And we're just trying to help people uh fast track their understanding about how the body really works. And the the bottom, bottom line is there is a blueprint for our body, and it runs on energy. The body knows exactly what to do, but it's got it. the immune system, the metabolic pathways, <clears throat> all of the all of the uh, physiology that really runs our body runs on energy. And if you don't have magnesium and especially bioavailable copper, no energy. Right. It's it's going to be sputtering, it's going to be restrained, and we were never designed as a species to have um, our foot on the brake as it relates to getting through the day. And that's basically how most people live their lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, one last question before we get into people's concerns. Sure. So the citric acid, the citrate, uh, all these things that destroy the bioavailable copper, yeah. How, at what level does that become an issue? Say, for example, like I have this amino acid drink, for example, this powder that I love. I don't take it every day, right. but I really enjoy how it feels in my body. Mm-hmm. But of course, all these powders always have citric acid in them. Mm-hmm. All the liquid supplements always have citric acid in them. So if somebody is doing 
one or two doses a week? Is that going to be different? Like what is, at what point is it really going to cause a problem? Or say there's five milligrams of zinc in this thyroid product, which they always put that in. Right. Um, like at what point does it become a problem? Do you have to just no tolerance or how strict? That's, that's, that's fair. Um, I think if the the challenge we've got, Sasha, is if we give people an inch, they'll take a mile. Okay. And and I, and I'm not trying to be um, really strident about it or rigid, but <clears throat> the, the the difficulty we have is that um, this suffering that exists on the planet is because the system is stacked against us. That. Um, Citric acid, it, it's naturally occurring in the body. You know, it's part of the Krebs cycle. But the citric acid they add to food, well, it's different. And my my younger son would argue, Dad, it's chemically the same. And I would say, yes, maybe. But biologically, it's different. And he said, you're right. And we'll always acknowledge that <clears throat> the biological properties of something from a test tube are different than what would be produced from our body. Mm -hmm. And so... Everyone always wants to know, you know, can I nibble away at the edge of it? And I try to be accommodating about it. But but the thing is, um, those uh, substances like citric acid or zinc or whatever it might be, um, they begin to build up. And people lose track of how much they're doing. And so, again, I'm not taking the stance, don't ever do it. I mean, that would just, I think that would be uh, autocratic and, and foolish. But I think people need to realize how compromised our nutrient status has been for 100 years. And people aren't familiar with all the changes that have been made in farming over 100 years, or the changes in food processing over 100 years or changes in pharmaceuticals over a hundred years. And it's like boiling a frog one degree at a time, made a change every year, chink, 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 chink. And suddenly the frog is boiled. And we've, we've had a rather um, extraordinary event take place in the last three or four years. And we need to take stock of that. And that event did not strengthen us as a species. In fact, it did just the opposite. So I think what people need to do is step beyond the comfort of the narrative and begin to question, is there more that I should be doing? And do I need to be doing less of what they think I should be doing, what they keep telling me to do? And that's the whole basis of the book, get people to do stops and starts. You know, what I learned just yesterday, every day is a new, oh, something new. <laughs> always something new. Um, a colleague of mine from Australia brought some information to my attention about copper being recycled in the body. That that was relatively new. It's it's important to know that. But the citation was a copper researcher that I was well aware of. Her name was. Um, of course, my mind just went blank. Mm -hmm. um, Maria Linder, Maria C. Linder, uh, she got her PhD 
in biochemistry from Harvard in the mid-60s. So she's a smarty pants. And she spent 45 years at Cal State University in Fullerton, continuing her research of copper and iron for 45 years. That's a long time to study. I mean, I've been playing with the I've been playing with minerals for 15, but copper and iron probably for about eight years. So I can only imagine what she learned in her lifetime uh, in, in that legacy of research. But but when I learned about this copper recycling, I decided to go to her body of, of research. 167 articles, you know, yeah. try writing one. Yeah. <laughs> and then do it, do it 167 more times. So I have great I have great respect for people who've done that. I know I know a husband and wife team who's published a thousand articles. It's like <laughs> it's just incredible. But in any event, I started thumbing through her articles. They started in the 1970s and went right up to just before she died in 2022. I mean, she was prolific and writing. You know, God bless her. She was amazing. Um, wrote a wonderful book in 2000 called The Biochemistry of Copper. Oh. It's an amazing book, wonderful book for, for the gearheads out there. You're going to love that book. Yeah. And um, and it's about this thick. So get ready for a fun read. But um, in 2010, she did some research about the increased copper uptake in a woman's body who's going to breastfeed their baby. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, and so I know that during the last trimester of a pregnancy, the mom is going to download an enormous amount of copper from her liver to the baby's liver. So you and I, if we're healthy adults, we have 100 milligrams of copper. When we were born, the day that we were born, assuming everything went to plan, we were born with 70 milligrams of copper. That's an enormous bolus of copper. And what I learned is that the mom has a preferential uptake for copper prior to starting the breastfeeding. And the question to you, not to put you on the spot, but just, you know, you're, you're a uh, smart cookie. What do you think the in incremental increase in uptake of copper is prior to breastfeeding? In terms of her, like the body's need for it. I don't know. Double amount, triple. Like, are you talking yeah, about? So, so, so two, two times, right? Ten to twenty times more copper. Ten to twenty times. Right. Wow. And we're supposed to believe that it's a toxin. Wow. And that's the. Those are the orders of magnitude that I'm familiar with. But if you don't know the literature, then you're like, yeah, this, this nut job. He's talking about twenty times more copper for pregnant women and. And, and guess what runs conventional obstetrics? Iron right. and vitamin D. Now, what do iron and vitamin D do? They block copper and magnesium and retinol. And modern obstetrics is about these two elements yeah. and no, nothing about these three elements. And when you, if you're not necessarily directed at you, but if for those listeners who are interested in having a baby, Google what nutrients are required for healthy brain tissue in a fetus. Copper 
magnesium, and retinol. And that's a fact. Mm. So that's what we're up against, is wholesale reversal of what Mother Nature wants. And so people just need to keep an open mind that there is more to the story. And that we just need to be more accepting that maybe our ancestors were right all along and that the modern narrative, maybe that's been twisted a little bit, um, not in our favor. Just a little bit, just a little bit. So do you think that now I hate to label children, but there are a lot of new labels that have come out. Do you think hmm. being the inability to focus, to learn, like all, like, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, things being put into the bodies of infants these days, way more than there used to be. So I think that's playing a massive role on yeah. their health beginning Absolutely. to A to Z. But do you think the lack of copper is implicated in immune challenges, you know, focus issues, hyperactivity, right. and all that stuff? I don't just think it. I'm certain. Okay. And so um, a child whose mother is sucking down prenatals filled with iron. Mm-hmm. There's no focus on copper. And if you've got a lot of iron in your supplement, copper won't get absorbed. That's a fact. Thank Jamie Collins at University of Florida in Gainesville for that research in 2018 and 2020. Um, that a child, and then we then we know the mom has to do this download, right? In the last trimester. And then we know if she's going to breastfeed, she's got this enormous desire for copper in order to support the lactation process. And so that child is going to get born with a liver that's got a preferential uptake of iron. And what does iron like to do? It creates oxidative stress. If it's not being regulated by copper, it's going to create oxidative stress. And all you got to do is take those labels that you're alluding to, put them in a Google search engine, put the label, and follow it by oxidative stress. And brace yourself for a lot of research to prove that that's what's driving those labels, right. is unchecked oxidative stress, because the food and the supplement uh, focus is cattywampus. It's backwards. And I think it's time that that change. And so when people are looking to increase their uptake of copper through food, other than liver and whole food vitamin C, what would be the main things again to remind people? Or is there, what else? Here's the challenge we've got. Okay. Uh, Copper has been the number one nutrient deficiency on the farm for 80 years. Didn't start last week. Didn't start last year didn't start in 2000. It goes way back. And why did it start 80 years ago? What happened then? I, I would think that what the what the argument would be was we're trying to increase yield and we're willing to sacrifice mineral uptake to do that. Okay. And we don't need to get into dastardly, oh, there's a plot. It's just, I think greed gets in the way. It's a very, very defendable a position. I, my roommate from college says, Morley, there doesn't have to be a dark, sinister person doing this. It's just love of money. I said, good point, Dave, you're right. And so let's just play with that. 
that, right. that there is a desire for more profit and we'll cut corners where we can, but there's been a price to pay. And the one of the most important books I've ever read was by um, a French biochemist. His name was Andre Voisin, V-O-I-S-I-N. Oh, yes. You, I've heard him. He has PhD in biochemistry, and he wrote a very important book that was published in 1947 called Soil, 57, I think it was, 57, Soil, Grass, Cancer. I got to make sure what that date was. <laughs> um, but in that, he was a noted biochemist. Um, I actually had that book up on a tab after I heard about it. Yeah, it was 57. I thought it was 57. So um, you can buy it for $700. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what it was. It was really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in that book, <clears throat> and, I, and I thought when I first read it, I thought he was a dairy farmer who, by some quirk of fate, just happened to have a degree in biochemistry. <laughs> no, he was a gifted biochemist who whose hobby was raising dairy cows. He loved. He just loved the process of, of being a dairyman. And <clears throat> but what he what he profiles in his book is that because the soil doesn't have copper, it's not getting into the grass, it's not getting into the cow's stomach, it's not getting into their milk, and his clients were getting cancer. And he makes that argument. And what he adds is that it was his belief, and I think others have corroborated this, is that the NPK that has, then that's uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, NPK. Those were the three ashes left over in burning produce. And so in the 1880s, a German scientist said, those are the three elements that we need for farming, NPK. And isn't it a coincidence that those are the three elements that were used in munitions during the First World War? Mm -hmm. Isn't it further a coincidence that they had a lot of munitions left over from the First World War? So let's propagate farming with NPK, and it blocks the copper uptake in the root system of the produce. <laughs> it's like, it's like it, it, that couldn't possibly be, but it's true. And so <clears throat> Dr. Voisin made that declaration in his book. Not a lot of people talk about it. And that's what started the um, copper deficiency on the farm. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, we had a Roundup, uh, the herbicide, uh, glyphosate is its formal name. What is glyphosate? It's, it's glycine. It's a glycine amino acid with a nitrogen wart. And it is a perfect copper chelator. Now, it chelates many different minerals, right. but at a different speed, at a different power of removal. And so glyphosate removes copper a billion times faster than magnesium. 
glyphosate removes copper a thousand times faster than it removes zinc. Well, these are numbers that we can't relate to. Right. But there was a time when I could run an eight-minute mile. But at that same time, my son could run a, he ran a 402 mile. He was twice as fast as I was. We, we don't know someone who can run three times faster than me. We can, much less a thousand times faster. So that would be like a rocket versus a a tricycle. And so we we need to be careful about responding to these numbers. Like those numbers get so big that they just fly right over our cranium and we just ignore them. Mm -hmm. But it's important that people realize that there is a price to pay for progress. And there's been a lot of progress on the farm. And a lot of things changed in the 70s. Here in the States, it was Earl Butts during the the, um, President Nixon administration. His hue and cry was get bigger, get out. And Mm -hmm. farming changed in the 70s. Very, very different order of magnitude, bigger farms, standardization, more control. And people don't think about that. I think about that. Food processing has changed a lot in 100 years. The refining of of the nutrients out of the food started before the First World War. And they took out all the nutrients. So it was like eating cardboard. So then they put in a lot of sugar. And that's when all the changes started to be made. And it didn't get better when they added high fructose corn syrup. That's a very powerful copper chelator uh, or a cap it's a, actually a copper blocker it, it blocks the copper uptake in the body and then the changes in in pharmaceuticals is legendary that the i would argue that two of the primary targets of pharmaceuticals are magnesium and copper wow and if, and if my business model was to make money selling medication i would target those two minerals too but if you don't understand what minerals are, if you don't understand the power that they have and the importance that they have, then you've never thought about the fact that the medications I've been taking for the last 20 years, I, I didn't know there was a price I was paying for that. And there is. And it's well documented. And a world-renowned magnesium expert was named Mildred Seeley. She was a physician, got her degree in, I think, late 50s, early 60s. And she was a drug researcher. She started out working with Big Pharma. And when she realized that all the drugs that she was working on were causing magnesium deficiency, she switched sides. And she left Big Pharma. And she spent 50 years of her life educating people about the importance of copper. She is a uh, one of my heroes, but, but she was just a paragon of knowledge about the importance of minerals in general, but magnesium in particular. And that, so what you're saying then in the end for my question, then I kind of waylaid you is that there's, it's not really in much of the food, right? No, I, I think, that, thank you for bringing me back on track. <laughs> no, I, I think the challenge we've got is um, Michael Pollan wrote a book uh, maybe 10 years ago. We're eating uh, food-like substances. Right. They look like food, but they don't have the mineral content that our ancestors had because our ancestors grew their own food. Very different when you're tending your own garden and you're going to be a little more attentive. And so there is a there is a wholesale 
lack of minerals and nutrients, which is why we take supplements. But what we don't know is that maybe those supplements aren't designed for our best interest or optimal uptake of those nutrients. So that when we get a bolus of iron and zinc and this much copper, we're not going to get the copper. When we have a bolus of calcium and this much magnesium, we're not going to take up the magnesium. Right. When we get um, B vitamins made by uh, coal tar derivatives, yeah. maybe they're not going to be as bioavailable right. as bee pollen. Right. And so th th all these little changes add up. And one of my uh, colleagues has taken my training, but she's a nurse and, and a very astute um, consultant in her own right. She did someone no one had done. She took a, um, um, a supplement that everyone buys. It's a very popular supplement. I'm not going to get into the names. But, but there's an understanding about what the copper-iron ratio is in that supplement. And there's supposed to be more copper than iron. And so she sent it to a lab. She sent a bottle of this product to a lab and said, I want you to analyze it and tell me what's there. It's very unusual for someone to do that. Mm -hmm. And what came back was the inverse of what we had been told. There was actually more iron than copper. And so that sent a shockwave through the RCP community. Mm. And unfortunately, we don't have the resources to analyze all of these supplements. But what I want people to understand is uh, there may be more to the story about the supplement you've been taking for the last five years, 10 years. And maybe it's not as robust as you think it is. Or maybe what you need to do is ask for a certificate of analysis to find out what's really in this supplement. And they're readily available. You can it, Manufacturers are happy to share what, they, what their analysis is. But I think uh, we are living in an unprecedented time of unknown. And I think we have to be very discerning about uh, the assumptions we're making about what we know versus what we don't know. And don't assume that because the label says this, that that's in fact what the label is, is, is the label representative. And then the other only other thing I would caution people about is nutrient tables. People love to go to the nutrient tables to see what this food or that food has. Do you know when the nutrient tables were last updated? No, probably not very recently. <laughs> it was in the late 1950s. No. At least, at least here in the States. In the States, what? it was. That's, so, okay. Has farming changed since Dr. Voisin published his book in 57? Yes, it has. And the, the nutrient tables online have great eye candy. Oh, wow, they look really cool, right? They're very informative, but it's garbage in, garbage out. Right. And who's got the time or the resources to redo all these nutrient tables? It's, I mean, I, I'm not trying to pull the rug out from under people, but it's like, it's a very different world out there. And so we have to be very mindful of the fundamentals 
And that's really what the root cause protocol is. And that's what the book is about. Let's get back to the fundamentals of how, how were we designed to make energy to run our blueprint to stay in balance? Simple. Simple. So yeah. you cooking with cast iron pans. I think cast iron, how long has cast iron been used? Just a few thousand years, right? Time, yeah. Long time. And I think what we got to be careful of is what's changed. Oils. Our ancestors would have used butter, lard, or tallow. Mm -hmm. We're very hip. And we know that these hard, healthy oils are, no, they're not hard, healthy. So we have to basically take the, the stuff that's being sold today, put that in the, in the uh, garbage can, and go back to lard, tallow and butter mm -hmm. and just and know that you you got to season it right and you never wash it you can wash it with water but you never wash it with soap because you're right. going to destroy the, the finish right 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 okay okay and copper pots and pans should we what about because i i even remember reading a book and it was built into the story about how they would come to these little small areas and they would coat their copper pans because they were toxic and they put a coating on them. This was in a book that I read years ago. So there are old copper pots right. and pans out there. What about those? Um, the, the coating is nickel. Mm. And nickel is really toxic. <laughs> right. So I'm not sure what they were doing to make it better. Uh, copper, of course, was used because it was the most perfect distributor of heat. Mm. Very even distribution of heat when you're using a copper pan, at least as I understand it. Um, is there a residue? I, I don't I don't know that much about the use of copper pans. It's usually in hot cuisine is where you would find it in a very elegant French restaurant right. uh, or maybe a, a, in other parts of the world where there's a real uh, discipline around what they're cooking with that copper pan. But um, what are we what have we been using? Steel and aluminum. Well, those that's not necessarily good for us. So we went from cast iron to steel. Was that really a, a step up? I don't know. And aluminum? No, that's not a, a good idea at all. I would cook with a copper pan before I cook with an aluminum pan. Right. And definitely not a Teflon coated pan. No. Right. No. Yeah. No, that's just that's oh. just being crazy. Okay, so let's talk about the stuff. There's, there's, there's so many different things. There's also health things. There's sick things. But I want. There's a lot of people, um, in my world that I am helping with, or our friends, or at the shop that are dealing with. Let's start with a thyroid. Let's start with that because it seems to be more and more people are dealing with some kind of thyroid issue. And now there's the autoimmune. Oh. Before we go specifically into thyroid, what about the umbrella of autoimmunity? Like for me, I have a hard time with that term. I feel like right. the body's intelligence isn't just going to start attacking you. So what about the whole umbrella of autoimmunity? And then let's go into thyroid issues of all kinds. When, when did autoimmune begin? In yeah, the last right. 30 years. How long? 30 years. Oh, 30 years. So glyphosate, Roundup? Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so what is glyphosate roundup grabbing? It's minerals in general, but copper in particular. Yeah. And there's two 
um, characteristics that are found in virtually all of the autoimmune conditions. There are um, there are Pac-Man Pac in our body called macrophages. They're really good at gobbling up things, especially dying red blood cells. It's part of their job. Got to get rid of this dying cell that has a bunch of iron that we need to get back into the recycling system. And so um, characteristic number one is when, when a macrophage has a lot of iron, it's going to store it in something called ferritin. It's a, it's an iron storage protein. It's kind of like an ATM machine. But iron in, take it out. Iron in, take it out. Iron in, take it out. Except most people don't put money in their ATM, do they? We just tend to take it out. But um, what is characteristic of autoimmune is something called hemosiderin. So hemosiderin is another iron storage protein that can hold 10 times more iron. That's a big number, folks. So a typical ferritin protein can hold 4,500 atoms of iron. Hemosiderin, 45,000 atoms of iron. It's a big difference. And what makes iron so dangerous is it has four unpaired electrons. Mother Nature abhors unpaired electrons. That's what makes them reactive. That's what causes iron to create what are called reactive oxygen species because it has a magnetic attraction for oxygen. And they're, they're going to change electrons and you're going to create all alternative forms of oxygen. They're called oxidants. Accidents with oxygen is an oxidant. And so when the macrophage can't recycle the iron properly as it's designed to do, and what's critical is there's an iron doorway in the back of the macrophage to let the iron out, get it to the transferrin, get it back to the bone marrow so it can make new red blood cells, if it can't do that, it starts to build up and the macrophage gets full of iron. Mm -hmm. It's called hemosiderin-laden macrophages. And that's characteristic number one. And the second characteristic of autoimmune is parasites. Guess what parasites live on? Iron. And so where is all this happening? In the spleen, for the most part. And what's the spleen? It's the intersection of iron recycling and the immune system. I, I wouldn't have designed it that way, but that's what it is. It's literally two major highways, iron recycling, clipping along at two and a half million red blood, cell, red blood cells per second being taken offline. And at the other end is in the bone marrow, we're making two and a half million red blood cells to replace them. Okay. We got to get them from, from the spleen to the bone marrow like that. And if we don't have copper to open up the iron doorway to allow the recycling to occur, 
the macrophages bloat, fill up with iron, and then pathogens. And what's what's one of the most important jobs in the spleen? Picking off the encapsulated bacteria, parasites, fungus, and virus in the blood. And that's done in an area called the white pulp. It's leukocytes that are designed to do this. And then we have red pulp, which is where the, the turnover of, of red blood cells is taking place. It's Sasha, it's absolutely mesmerizing how important that uh, organ is, but it's called the hidden organ. Nobody knows about it. Right. And he talks about it in North America, the spleen, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's also called the the, the organ of odd numbers. One, three, five, seven, nine, and eleven. It's one inch thick, three inches long, five inches wide. It weighs seven ounces, and it hides behind ribs nine through eleven on our left side. Huh. Interesting. Huh. One, three, five, seven, nine, eleven, and under stress, know anybody under stress? Under stress, the spleen goes from seven ounces to seven pounds. Seven ounces to seven pounds. Mm-hmm. And when it's under stress, it doesn't function right. Well, no kidding. And so it's going to seven pounds because it is storing iron? Yeah, granulocytes. <clears throat> and they're going to have iron in them. And so, again, nobody knows this. I just learned this a, f- a few weeks ago, talking with um, Brian Artis, who's a chiropractor here in the States, very uh, noteworthy and, and thoughtful individual, but he was telling me about how he cured his sister of lupus and his daughter of asthma by focusing on the spleen. And it was like this light bulb moment. I went, oh my God, I know this much about the spleen. Let me see what I can learn. And it's like, I'm like, it's like I'm walking through an earthquake now because it's it's amazing what you can find if you start to target your search properly. But no one, I would never have thought to look at the spleen. But the the autoimmune conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, Shogun, Shogun's, um, Hashimoto's. Hashimoto's <laughs> everywhere. Every woman now has Hashimoto's. Like, right, right. Yes. And so the antibodies are building. Why? Because the spleen is stressed beyond belief. And you've never heard that, have you? And so um, autoimmune, and I think playing in the background, the third factor, if there was, if I was going to identify a third, there's usually an unresolved emotional issue, some fear factor, some yeah. some trauma that's in play, oh. and we, we all we all have that uh, characteristic, but I think it's more pronounced in someone with a with a label, if you will, oh. and so I think the spleen has, as I'm coming to piece it together. I think the spleen is behind autoimmune, metabolic syndrome, cancer, you name it, behavioral health. Back in the 1400s, our medieval ancestors, you they knew, this was well chronicled in their uh, writings back then, that someone with melancholy, which is a old word for depression, had black bile in their spleen. Hmm. 
vial is not supposed to be black. No. Gee, I wonder why it would be black. No. Could it be possibly that it's oxidized, filling with iron? Could that be what's going on? And so then I was thinking just yesterday, melancholy. Well, melon is very close to melanin, mm -hmm. which is the dark pigment. Kali, that sounds like a funny way to say cholesterol. Mm. And, what's, and what's bile? Bile is related to cholesterol. So I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really dug into that. But but I think it's, it's time for people to realize that maybe um, the, the mechanism for all of this chronic disease is right under our nose and we didn't know it. And let me explain why I, I think it's significant. There's a mouse model for just about every condition that exists. And the mouse model for depression is called chronic social defeat stress, CSDS. You and I would call it PTSD. Now put on your thinking cap. What organ do you think is the target for chronic social defeat stress? Brain. I don't know. <laughs> the spleen. The spleen. The spleen. Okay, because well, you're on the spleen, but okay. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. Not the, it's not the adrenal glands. Oh, okay, right. We've been, we've been trained like circus bears to believe that the adrenal glands are the only organ that take on stress. Mm. And they do. Right. Well, the spleen does as well. And what you know one of one of the the guides one of the uh areas of focus for me is to is to better understand my dad's illnesses i, I grew up with a dad who had um, an enlarged heart double pneumonia manic depression and schizophrenia well those are four big strikes against you yeah guess where they all start in the spleen they all start in the spleen. Schizophrenia starts in the spleen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is new information. No, it's, it, 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 it's Sasha. I'm just like, I, when I say I feel like I'm walking through an earthquake, that's exactly what it feels like. The, the, the knowledge base is roiling now because, and, and I just um, went to see a colleague who's an acupuncturist and she gave me a, a write-up from one of her acupuncture textbooks right. on the earth element, the spleen. She said, I think you might like to read this. Yeah, no, that's, and that's the thing, because I follow, like I live by the five element theory of Chinese medicine. So the early right. summer's heart, the later summer's spleen, but right. they have, it has a lot to do with digestion from a uh, absolutely. Chinese medicine understand. perspective. That's absolutely true. And, and so what I, what I'm always looking for, is there a, mechanism that no one's ever identified like copper the pam enzyme which turns on all of our hormones they don't work until they're get my, get my there we go they don't work until they're turned on yeah it only, it only affects a few thousand hormones <laughs> one enzyme that needs copper 
um, you know, is there, I just, I just learned about it, an enzyme that's the flip, the switch, the metabolic switch between burning sugar and fat. Mm. That's, a, that's a good thing. To, and guess what it needs? Got to have copper. And this is stunning research out of Johns Hopkins Medical Center from Svetlana Lutsenko's lab. And so it's like, who knew, right? I didn't know there's a switch, a little toggle, got to have copper to do it. And, and when you have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, it's because that little switch isn't working right. And the liver is taking on fat because it can't burn it. It's storing it instead of burning it. Mm. So again, I'm always looking for these mechanisms and and the actual mechanism for depression, if you want to get really geeky about it? Yeah, let's. It's something called NKG2D. NK. NK for natural killer, G for group, 2D. And when NKG2D doesn't work properly, it's a tra- it's a um, it's a receptor. You're going to get depression. It's well established now, and the, and don't you know that Big Pharma has your back, and they have a drug called ketamine, K E T A M I N E, and if you'll just take our ketamine. Your depression is going to go away. Well, when I read about stuff like that, I'm like, where there's there's a famous French saying, "Cherchez la femme," right? But do you know that phrase? I Cherchez don't. Know. I know what it means, but I don't know what it. I don't know what. I don't know that oh, phrase. The, the legend, legend has it: whenever there's a problem, look for the woman. woman. <laughs> okay. Okay. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I have a feeling. I have a feeling women have a different version of it, but I'm just just thinking out loud here. But um, my phrase, whenever there's a problem, cherchez la fer. Look for the iron. iron. (laughs) Look for the iron. Cherchez la fer. And I've been proven right a lot. Iron has gotten dysregulated, mixing with things it shouldn't be mixing with, causing black bile, causing this receptor to not work right well why is iron dysregulated that's the question and it's happening where in the spleen that's where the functional action of ketamine is in the spleen Hmm. okay so so again it's just um the the penetrating uh information that's there if you're willing to take the time to piece the puzzle together. Right. Yeah. I don't remember what the question was, but I hope I answered. Oh, no, that was because I wanted to go about the overarching autoimmune stuff and everything. So let's look at, let's see how many things we can get into right now. But so I want to talk about the thyroid because thyroid's a big deal. And generally people are going on Synthroid or they're having it cut out if it's, if it's overactive. Right. They're doing these crazy things. What like the cutting out for me is just I just met a man who had a huge scar. He just had his whole thyroid removed Hmm. or they're going on drugs that are stopping their thyroid from needing to produce its own hormone and whatever the the, the, the glands that are associated with that. So what are we doing wrong? We're not reading the research of the European endocrinologists. 
A famous one is um, Jen's MyTag, M-I-T-T-A-G. In 2012, he talked about the relationship between thyroid function and copper status in the body. When was that story? 2012. 2012, okay. I don't know how you remember all these dates and names, Morley. That's quite yes. amazing. Well, I just, I, I think it's important. And by the grace of God, I can do it. Not 100%, but I'm about 98% maybe. Um, and I don't say that to be braggadocious. It's just, it's a gift. I'm very grateful for it. Mm -hmm. But um, so European residents have endocrinologists. North American residents have endocriminologists. <laughs> very different. So everyone worries about their TSH. Mm -hmm. Right? What's the hormone above TSH? Do you know that there is one? Yes, because I've heard you say it's like R something. I've T heard. TRH. TRH. Yeah. Yeah. Thyroxine regulating hormone. Guess, guess how TRH works? It's got to be turned on. If it's not turned on, it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, it's going to affect TSH. And if TSH rises, it's rising because TRH is not functioning because TRH digs copper. And T rising TSH is a clinical sign of copper deficiency. And that's a fact. Rising so, TSH is a clinical sign of copper deficiency. Okay. I'm going to tell you, oh, I have a friend. She just went and had everything changed, checked. She was trying to get off her meds. Her TSH was through the roof like hundred, like insane amount. And our T4 was basically zero, non-existent. Right. And, and so she's working with this to see if she can start regulating. But in the meantime, to feel better, she is um, going back on a little bit of her meds because well, not operating. I appreciate that. that it's a, so the, the, the most important thing for people to understand, again, I have a different point of view. Okay. This, this bow tie does not run the body. Right. That is a story, folks. Sorry. It's just a story. And, and if I were trying to sell drugs, I would try to convince you that it's the master gland for the body. And it's not. And so what there's two hormones that the thyroid puts out, T4 and T3. T, the T stands for tyrosine and the three and the four is the number of iodine attached to it. So the body actually takes in iodide and turns it into iodine. Do you know who actually does that? It's called whole food vitamin C. It's, oh. a, it's a copper dependent function. That's a good thing to know. So, gee, now we've got, gosh, the, the TRH needs copper. The, the conversion of iodide to iodine needs copper. Ooh. And then we find out that where is 90% of the conversion of T4 to T3 taking place in the body? I'll give you a hint. It's not the thyroid. Yeah. It's happening in the liver. Yeah. And so... 90%. 90%. Mm -hmm. And when 
When copper is low in the diet, ding, 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 Andre Bossin going forward, copper's low in the diet, iron will rise in the liver. It's axiomatic. It's not, oh, it's Wednesday afternoon, and I think there's going to be a little bit more iron sprinkled into my liver. It's like, <laughs> it happens like that. And we've known about this since 1928. March at the University of Wisconsin, May at the University of Louisville. Well-established fact. And in 2021, Kim and Gonzalez established it genetically. And they looked at 13 genes and only one gene changed in its expression under copper deficiency. One gene is called ferritin light chain. And where is ferritin light chain found? In the liver, only expressed in the liver, actually liver and spleen, but predominantly in the liver. And so under copper deficiency, the gene that's firing up the protein to store iron is going catabolic, stratospheric. Mm-hmm. And that affects enzymes. There are about 500 in the liver. But one of the most important, of course, is the triiodinase enzyme that takes T4, cleaves off an iodine, and turns it into T3 so it can run the show, right? That's what we've been trained to believe. T3 runs the show, it goes to the mitochondria, and it's a spark. It's like, let's get this, let's get this mitochondria going. No, that's not what it is at all. What Jens Mitag and his team discovered is that T3 is an oxygen sensor. Are we burning the oxygen the way we're supposed to in the mitochondria? Where does T3 hang out? At complex four of the mitochondria. What's the significance of complex four? It's a copper-dependent enzyme that turns O2, an oxygen molecule, into two molecules of water, 2H2O. And if that doesn't go right, and it starts to create oxidative stress, T3 is what? It's a hormone. And what are all hormones? Signaling molecules. Guess what the signal is? T3 gets out its cell phone and says, liver, I need more of that ceruloplasmin because we need more copper in the mitochondria to burn the oxygen better. Can you get it here, stat, please? And that's what Jens Mitag figured out, is that T3 is a signal to make more ceruloplasmin so that the body can burn oxygen more efficiently. It's a very different world. And so um, there's a um, um, health coach in Sweden. Um, first name is Anna, and I'm blank, blank on her last name, but I'll get you her contact information. Because I did a series of talks with her. She was, she's a, she prides herself on what she knows about the thyroid. And she was on a SPAR, S-P-A-R-R-E. Uh, and she's in Sweden. But there's a whole series of, of conversations I had with Anna SPAR about the thyroid and about this research by Dr. Uh, Mytag. And she was stunned. 
because it makes, she said it makes so much sense. When you when you really stop and think about conventional thyroid logic, it makes absolutely no sense at all because it there's no reference to copper. And you made reference to someone who has a hyperactive thyroid. Well, that's a clinical sign of copper deficiency. I don't fully understand why, but it goes into this racing state when it realizes it doesn't have the copper that it needs. And it turns out, according to Dr. Mytag, again, I'm, I'm hanging a lot on, on one guy, but what I what I search for, Sasha, are scientists and clinicians that make sense, that are able to build a logical argument for how the body works. And what he points out about uh, copper and the thyroid is that there's a correlation between serum copper and T4 and a correlation between um, ceruloplasmin, the, the copper protein, and T3. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And, and so, again, ceruloplasmin would be the active form of copper. It's in its protein. It can do things. Right. T3 is the active form of the hormone. It can do things, but it's not activating the mitochondria. That's that's C. Dick and Jane Run. What Dr. Mytag has done is developed a very thoughtful essay, more like War and Peace, to explain how does the thyroid really work. And let's get beyond this, this farcical narrative that oh this this bow tie runs my body and I must I must worship and alt and when I knew we were onto something with the RCP because it was trepidatious in the beginning you're bucking the system all you got to do is look at the stops and realize wow this guy took on the on the whole not just allopathic but alternative uh, paradigm yeah, totally and so when people started saying that they stopped taking their thyroid medications because they had so much energy, I knew we were onto something important. Now, I'm not here to say that RCP is a panacea for every thyroid problem you've got. But again, stop believing in the bow tie as the regulator of the body. It's actually bioavailable copper. That's way more important. And begin to understand how the body makes energy. That's what the book's about. And the protocol takes the, the knowledge of the book and, and applies it. It's where the rubber hits the road. And go go low and go slow. Right. Go low and go slow. And and you're you're the cross between the lab rat and the scientist. And just be curious about what you're learning as you begin to experiment with your body. Huge. And 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 really just be have a have a degree of courage that that you're your anatomy and your physiology was divinely designed to keep you in balance. What you didn't know was that they had been perfect, that the nutrients that were essential had been perfectly removed from your soil that's growing your food. You just didn't know that. And such an important uh, contributing vitamin, that vitamin A, the retinol, 
right? Also being removed via the idea that we should be vegans and vegetarians. So that vitamin A would be really important for the thyroid patients. So what do you have to say about, it's a touchy subject, right? There, I mean, it's the trend. We're going to save the world. What, what, what is your message out there for vegan and vegetarians? I have met some that are willing to do cod liver oil. They won't eat the meat. They won't, but they'll take cod liver oil. I'm like, okay, that's a start. Have some grass-fed butter, cod liver oil. I've got a couple dozen uh, vegan clients who regularly take cod liver oil. Right. <clears throat> um, again, we, we live in an era where everything has become a religious war and we've mm-hmm. become polarized about everything. Right. Why do things become polarized? Because they have more iron. Society <laughs> is more, no, seriously, society is more polarized today than it was 50 years ago. Yeah. And so we are, we, if you and I disagreed about something, it isn't just that you're wrong, it's that you're evil. You know, you don't see it my way. Well, then you're a, you're an evil person, and that's what people are doing now. That's that's such an extreme response to. Hey, let's talk about it. Absolutely, let's, it's always it's either this way or this way, and there's no middle ground, and there's no room to come together. Right? It's this false dichotomy that's created in every situation these days. There's yeah. a very popular nutritionist, and I've I've tried for years to to talk with him, just privately, not even online. And I saw him in a meeting last year, and I said, you know. I really think we need to have a conversation. And he had this look of anguish in his eyes. And I said, what is it? He said, well, I just don't agree with you. I said, all the more reason for us to have a conversation. Let's talk, right? Talk, exactly. And so it's just, you know, let's see what we can learn from each other. If you you have knowledge that proves I'm wrong, bring it on. Right, exactly. Right. That's the exciting part. Yeah, exactly. I I really, I live for people to bring me information that I've never seen before that's disruptive, that's jarring, but it doesn't happen very often. And again, it's, and I, I don't say that to be obnoxious. It's just, I try to be very careful about what I learn before I start to speak about it. Right. Fair. That's responsible. Okay. Okay. So there's so many things to talk about. Morally, we're going to definitely have to be doing more. This is going to be an ongoing thing because I want to talk about general just aging gracefully and you know metabolism and how like you look at the people on the beach in the 70s and look at the people now but i don't want to talk about that today there's just a couple other things oh, also you don't want to talk about it today but i've got the article today right here, right here. oh okay 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 yeah. <laughs> your article because there's other things okay we're just gonna have to talk i also want to talk about lime though like okay but, you want to talk about right? lime Let's talk. I want to talk about Lyme because I have known so many people devastated by Lyme, whether it is actually Lyme. I don't even know the whole story, what the truth is around Lyme, to be honest. But Guess I know the, people's yeah. lives have been devastated by right. it. Absolutely. I do so, too. Yeah. Um, I've I've talked to three different um podcasters that focus on Lyme. And they're all to, to a person, they're just absolutely blown away by the RCP because this cuts against the grain of the narrative of, of Lyme. Okay. <clears throat> There's two parasites involved in Lyme, right? Um, Barbesia and Burgadol. Then there's another one. I, I'm embarrassed, I can't think of it. But, yeah. but the point is, there's two parasites. Put on your thinking cap. Where do you think those parasites are supposed to be removed from the bloodstream? Where? Mm-hmm. The liver? The gut? 
and the liver. Well, through the colon and the liver. The spleen. Oh, the, the spleen. Okay, okay, the spleen. Yes, the spleen. I was reading an article two weeks ago, and they specifically identified those two parasites as being, they're supposed to be removed from the spleen. Now, this article was talking about spleen activity in general, but I went, I went, oh my gosh, it's right there. And so, again, it's hard for people to imagine this 2.5 million red blood cells a second being taken offline. We, You and I have been talking now for almost an hour and a half, times 60, times 2.5. And while it's doing this, it's got to keep track of the, the pathogens. And so I always tell people to think of, go back to, in your memory bank, Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory. And then the managers walked out and said, speed it up, boys. And what people don't know is that if, if the blood has a magnesium deficiency and or a copper deficiency, this 2.5 million, that's predicated on the red blood cell living 120 days. That's the lifespan of a red blood cell. If it's missing copper and or magnesium, it goes down to living 20 days. Mm. So you've just increased the speed of turnover sixfold. So if you're if you're like this, a hamster on a wheel, worrying about the aging red blood cells, is that going to take you off your game with the immune system? I think it does. And what what is the spleen all about? It's got to have the energy. And what's the predecessor condition before we start talking about all these different conditions? Hyposplenism. Underactive spleen. Doesn't have the energy it needs. And, and so when it goes from seven ounces to seven pounds. That's crazy. It's crazy. And then what does it do? It collapses. And that's the work of Hans Selye back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He only did 30,000 lab experiments. He only published 45 textbooks, not, not little novelettes. 45, 45 textbooks and 750 articles. You talk about someone who was possessed. <laughs> and, what he, and what he learned, <clears throat> what he established as fact, is that there's an alarm state, there's a resistance state, and there's exhaustion. Mm. Every organ responds that way. Mm. So again, we have been taught a narrative that ever since Louis Pasteur, oh, there's a pathogen that got in my soup, right? right. And now I'm sick. Yeah. Guess where that pathogen was supposed to be taken out? Oh, the spleen was supposed to take it out. And so what was pasteurization? A way to bypass the spleen. It's absolutely, it's, I, I came across an article in New York Times talking about the connection between melancholy in the Middle Ages and pasture in the late 1800s. And the, that our, that our ancestors knew how important the spleen was. And here's the irony of all ironies. What is milk? 
It's white blood cells. What is raw milk? Healthy white blood cells. And guess what they nourish? The spleen. And guess what pasteurized milk does? It doesn't nourish the spleen. No, it doesn't nourish anything. 50, 50 enzymes are removed when you pasteurize milk. 50. Ceruloplasmin, lactoferrin. There's some amazing enzymes that are literally wiped off the map. Right. That and is. so the pasteurization of milk back, it, it was it really took hold in the early 1900s because of the work of Robert Koch, who was a famous MD who got a, a Nobel Prize in that era. And he is the one, it wasn't Pasteur, he was the one who solidified the pasteurization of milk. Mm. And so... <clears throat> We're still fighting that war today. Oh yeah, there's still there's still dairymen who who are being raided by agents with guns drawn. Yeah, yeah, worldwide, worldwide, but especially here in North America, and it's absolutely insane because our ancestors probably lived on three staples: unpasteurized milk, bread, and cheese. Mm. they didn't have a, a Starbucks they didn't have a Whole Foods they didn't have a 7-Eleven down the street yeah. they had a very simple diet and they did just fine and so I, I think we've we've um, been lulled into a complacent narrative that we don't realize how completely toxic it is oh unbelievably toxic yeah there's there's some good farmers people get to know your farmers in the area because there are ways to get to know people and if you know them directly Absolutely. you can definitely benefit from that and and i think the, the goal here in this conversation is not to not to depress people i'm not trying to create mel melancholy i'm really not I'm trying to inspire you that there's an answer 100 sasha is trying to uh, get people excited that wow there's new information that we didn't know about and it's really designed to help us and just get more people to be aware of it just try it try just, it just why try not it. just yeah. try it you're not getting the results you want or need or maybe there's more possible and you don't even know so why don't we just try something different that's what's so exciting about it and so for people back to people with lyme then would you say just simply <clears throat> just adopting the protocol as is <clears throat> Great question. Um, I think the I think the protocol is a start. I, I have um, a colleague who, who runs a um, a Lyme podcast. Okay. And she she had been working with medications for two years, and I don't. And I'll send you her contact information. Sure. Um, uh, she started the protocol, and within. I think it was like three or four months. She was a different person. Again, end of one. It's not everybody. But she knew that she was missing something. And she she dove into the RCP, both feet. And she's just a rabid promoter of it as a solution. What I think is an addition, one addition that you could add to the uh, protocol 
would be there's a company called Standard Process uh, based out of uh, Wisconsin. And they make wonderful supplements, but they have what are called PMGs, protomorphogens. They're very important um, substances that help to rebuild different organs. There's a PMG for the heart, for the liver, for the kidney, mm. um, for the pituitary, for the thyroid. <laughs> what are they? What are they based on? What is the what's the, the, the glandulars? Oh, okay. okay. And so there's one for the spleen. It's called Spleen PMG. Right. Okay. And that I would just encourage people to um, start working with that product. You can work at the, with the direction of a, a practitioner. Chiropractors are typically ones who use those substances, but work and follow the directions on the bottle along with the, the RCP and just see what happens. Specifically the spleen in this case, in this particular case, you're saying. Right. I, I think the spleen is a hidden factor in just about every condition that exists. Again, it's just, and I, I could be absolutely dead wrong about that, but my instinct tells me there's something here that we just don't know about. And the, the emotion associated with the spleen is worry. Just think about all the worry that people, I mean, kidneys oh. are here, but the worry of the spleen, yes. a lot to worry about these days, which are definitely going to be impacting. And and what, when we, we talk about chronic social defeat stress, wouldn't that be an interesting way to describe 2020 through 2022? Totally. 100%. Yeah. And if that, and if that, if that mechanism of stress is targeting the spleen, nobody was talking about that, were they? No. 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 So this, this, I, this, I don't think we're going to have time. I'm probably going to have to wrap it up because you got to get going soon because I want to talk, bring the Lyme question into the, the parasite thing because that's another thing that is rampant around me right now. The, the amount of parasites that people are dealing with and I do understand that parasites will definitely feed off of iron, but I'm pretty sure they're feeding off of other excess well, metals that are not right. So there was a, uh, there's a very important animal farmer in Australia. She's no longer with us. She died in 2015. Um, her name was Pat Colby, C-O-L-E-B-Y, and she wrote many books, but four in particular. Natural goat care, natural sheep care, cattle care, and horse care. And in her those four books, she talks about parasites in all four books. And she makes the following assertion. Any animal, we are all animals, any animal that is copper deficient will have parasites. Any animal that has parasites is copper deficient. It's an axiom that she absolutely lived by. And back in the fifth, prior to the 50s, farmers, especially down under, would use copper sulfate. And they knocked the parasites out. And then after the war and in the early 50s, <clears throat> big pharma said, boy, have we got a solution for you? We've got something that's so much better than the copper sulfate. Just throw that away. 
and they had what are called chemical tranches. And for about 10 years, animal farmers started to work with these chemical tranches and they were completely ineffective. And animals were dying, the parasites were not dying, and they went back to the copper as a solution. So people, we will never get rid of all of our parasites. We will never get rid of our bacteria and our fungus and our virus. We are meant to have these organisms in our body, but they're meant to be under regulation, meant to be some degree of harmony and homeostasis. And the, the original antimicrobial element on planet Earth was copper. Silver is just a recent phenomenon. And why was silver being used? Because they knew people were copper deficient. So then they introduced silver. Well, there's a catch on silver. Sorry, it kills the mitochondria. And people don't know that. That's that's interesting. Cause, yeah, because there's some very... There's compelling... I respect that they talk a lot about colloidal silver. I've been using it for decades. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's legendary in what it does. But what what did they not try? They didn't try copper. Copper. And so I give I give NIC credit to folks who make colloidal silver. They now make a colloidal copper. Yeah. It's a it's a great product. Yeah. But but the thing is, I think there's multiple forms of copper that you can use. And I encourage people to to try that colloidal. I encourage them to try the copper cream from reverse skin aging. And I encourage them to try the recuperate that I think is a very bioavailable form. We are so under-mineralized as a species, it's really quite uh, alarming. Oh, you it is. It's, 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 yeah. If you don't know about minerals, you don't you don't get worried. I, I, I get worried. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm actually teaching a course on minerals next month that are shot because from trace minerals to all sorts of stuff. So, okay, two things. Do you get people reporting the excretion of worms when they go on the protocol much? Do you hear that as a- Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. And did you ever find out about the transdermal nature, if there is any of the colloidal copper? Transdermal. Does it get absorbed? Does it get absorbed transdermally, the colloidal copper in the skin? Oh, you mean the, the uh, reverse skin aging copper? Not the reverse skin aging. The oh, oh, the, oh the trans. Oh, the um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The colloidal copper. I did not get that confirmed. Okay. I will follow up with um, Seth, one of the owners of the company, okay. and try to get a scientific answer to that question. I apologize, okay. but my instincts would tell me yes. Yeah. But let's get a definitive okay. answer from the company. Okay. Okay, Marley, we're going to have to do more because there's just so much to talk about. And there's so many things because I really want to talk about, like I said, other issues. Also, I have a, a, a I, I'm, I'm amassing questions, but like schizophrenia, I want to get into that mental health aspect because that's a, like the thing is, I'm trying to think of, okay, what are the people really dealing with now? Well, that's the problem. They're dealing with so many different things, right? right. If we could right. tie it back to one thing, that's an amazing thing that we can do. But I do want to address each different ones. And I want to talk about healthy aging and maintaining a nice, healthy figure. I mean, now we're just accepting that obesity is just the way it is because that's where we are. Well, no, 
No, look back 150, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 40 years ago. I'm sorry, people just weren't obese like they were. There's the odd larger person. But so I'm, something we can talk about when we do talk about yeah. obesity, uh, you've got Merla Hubler, uh, MD, PhD at Vanderbilt University. Um, her article in 2018 was the uh, American Journal of Physiology article of the year. And she talks about wow. iron accumulation in fat cells. Mm. And that's what's contributing to obesity. But again, the, there's macrophages in the fat cells that are supposed to be gobbling them up and keeping them trim and it, it loses its function. And a year later, we have Svetlana Lutsenko at Johns Hopkins University does research on this enzyme SSAO, which is copper dependent. And <clears throat> if SSAO doesn't flex its muscles right, you will become obese. So we have two sides of the same coin. We've got copper deficiency, iron overload. We're back to the same model, different mechanisms, but the same mineral dysregulation that's driving that one, and there are many others, but that's a very notable one in society today. And we can, I, I would love to talk about that. For okay, you. I'd love to talk about that too. That's the thing. I mean, if you just get that dysregulation, then you're going to get oxidative craziness and metabolic nightmare. And it just it makes sense. It's just going to affect everything, really. Sure. So are these conversations making sense? I mean, are they helping? Do you think? Oh, I think so. For sure. Okay. For okay. sure. Just, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I really, I really appreciate the chance to have this kind of dialogue. I just want to make sure people really oh, find I value so. on it. And, I'm getting great um, feedback on them. Definitely okay, getting feedback. Okay, good. And well, so I'm going to hold, I'm going to say, just wait, I'm going to say, everybody, thank you very much for joining me. This is number three. I look forward to number four. I'm going to start amassing more questions. I do have a few and I keep putting them in random places, but I want to put them together because Mor Morley's also offered to do a Q&A. So if you have very specific questions to your personal situation, then please send me questions and we can definitely go into more detail around that as well in one of our future conversations because Morley is so generous at this time and I really, really appreciate it. Well, I just enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy the dialogue. I enjoy the questions. You're, you stimulate the neurons to make sure I'm pulling the, uh, the knowledge together in the right way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, share this. Please share this with your friends and family and try applying a few things and even give us some feedback if you're implementing some of the a little as the aspects of the root cause protocol see if you're getting any changes in your life. Okay, everybody, have a healthy, lovely day and we'll be back again soon. Bye.